You're listening to the ConsumerFi Podcast, powered by Nortridge, loan software that accelerates change. Welcome, everybody, to the ConsumerFi Podcast. I am really excited today to have Melinda Zabritsky, who's the Senior Director of Automotive Financial Solutions at Experian with us today. Melinda, first off, welcome to the podcast. Great. Thank you, Joel. Pleasure to be here. So, Melinda, the last time you and I saw each other was at the end of one of the, I think it was the AFSA conference in Las Vegas. And I probably had about 15 minutes to get to my flight and I got caught up in a conversation and you were so kind to come over and tap me on the shoulder and say, Joel, um, I think you better get out of here. <laughs> and you saved me. You did. You saved me from, from missing my flight. <laughs> Don't have to worry about that these days, it seems like. <laughs> That's right. You haven't been on a plane in some time, right? Uh, March was the last time I was on a flight, and um, unfortunately, I did get sick right after that flight, actually, and uh, just recently did an antibody test, and apparently, I've got trace antibodies, so uh, very likely that was a, uh, my last flight was COVID-related. Oh, my goodness. Well, thank God that everything's all good with you and yours. So before, before you took on the role of senior director with Experian, you, you held some other roles at Experian. I don't know if people know much about that, but I think it's interesting to get to know the background of folks. Can you tell us a little bit about some of the stuff you did with Experian beforehand? Sure, absolutely. So I've actually been with Experian about 16 years, um, about I think the last 14 and a half within Experian Automotive or Automotive Business Unit. Uh, but my career beforehand was always more in product marketing and product development. And I've had a history of, and always on the credit side, I've had a history of working with products that um, give you insights into, into market share and analytics and what's happening in specific industries. And I was managing a product that did exactly that, you know, gave auto lenders a view in their, their market share of the industry. And uh, just with any other product, you're always fighting for development resources. And if you couldn't get something developed, I thought, well, if, if I can't come out with a new enhancement, I'm going to think of all the different ways that I can market this product and keep it top of mind for folks. So I started going through and mining the data and coming up with some snippets that I thought were interesting, interesting data points and started sharing that with our sales folks and saying, hey, why don't you go talk to your lenders and share them, hey, you know, they can get these types of insights if they subscribe to this product. And it just took on a life of its own. And it, it started with, you know, doing, doing those regular snippets, which led to being asked to come out to clients to do some custom presentations, looking at their market, but then doing some generic presentations that we kicked off in, I want to say 2007, where every quarter looking at what's happening in the industry, and that just took on a life of its own. And uh, it's really grown from there. And then I've had a few stints moving into sales and consulting and um, spent a lot of time just, you know, looking at the industry and, and helping um, helping clients really figure out how to navigate the, the current industry and what's happening and what's, what's coming for tomorrow. I love it. I, I love being able to see the friendly face when I'm out there on the, at the conferences. I see you. There's other people. Um, for folks that are unfamiliar, and I doubt there are many, you know, Melinda is one of the sessions that everybody has to go to. There's so many people that go to conferences <laughs> And you can only send so many people, right, from every company. And they're like, we want you to bring back what, what, what the market's doing, what our competitors are doing, and, and what the forecast looks like. So it's, it's just, anyway, I, I'm, I'm super stoked to have you on the show. Um, so the report came out back. It was a Q2 uh, summary of 2020. You call it the finance market report. 
The first thing, and I want to dive in on this. The first thing is that consumer tastes seem to be changing. And this, this to me was really interesting. It made sense, but it kind of didn't. I'm, I'm not going to steal your thunder. You tell us what those consumer tastes are, and then I want to ask some questions. You know, it was, it was very interesting uh, what happened in the second quarter, because for the past two and a half, three years, the number one financed vehicle segment was the entry-level CUV. You know, that had been number one. Previously, we had seen, you know, the, the small economy car. You'd always had pickup trucks, but the CUV had been leading the segment for, for a couple of years. And Q2 of this year really changed things, and there was a big shift to full-size pickups. And that shift led to so many of the changes that we saw because people went from a CUV, which typically has an average loan amount of, you know, 25000 to these full-size pickup trucks, which have average loan amounts of 45000 You know, it resulted in seeing uh, extreme record highs in loan amounts and growth in loan amounts that were significantly higher year over year than what we had seen previously. Um, so it really changed a lot. But what was interesting, though, is it seems so far to be really a an empower result of the incentives that were out in Q2 mm. and really more of that COVID type response and reaction to the market. You know, there were heavy incentives in the second quarter and we saw more consumers move into new vehicles, you know, who previously would purchase used vehicles. They went and bought new, they bought these big trucks, finance larger loan amounts for longer term. And then over the more recent last couple of months, that shift is, is changing yet again. So once again, that CUV is back up there. So it seems mm. to have been really more of a short-term response to a lot of the incentives. And the incentives did their job. They, they brought people to market and they, they did change what people bought. That move to the, to the, to the pickup trucks, the full-size pickup trucks, you know, in my brain, it's not a very difficult story to, to put together to say, oh, okay, so now I have nothing to do and I'm going to just do all the stuff that I should have done and clear the brush in the back of my house and do all this other stuff. And a pickup truck would really come in handy. I mean, is it really quite that simple? Do you know, have you, have you been able to dig into that at all as to what the driver was for that change in preference? Unfortunately, we're looking at just the actual raw data, looking at the titles and what people purchase and how they purchase it. Um, not necessarily, unfortunately, we can't get into the, the survey of these yeah. consumers to ask them, why did they purchase? Um, if, if we could, that would be fantastic. Yeah, that's a lot of the anecdotal stuff we tend to get from the folks that work in the dealerships, which is is, is very helpful. You know, the, the market players kind of shuffled around a bit as well. We saw some some segments grow and probably take some of the share of the others. I'm probably butchering how you would explain it. So I'll, I'll turn it over to you. What do you see in there in terms of who's who's kind of growing and who's shrinking in terms of issuers? Yeah, so, and there were some, there were some pretty big changes in, in Q2 as well. And, and again, a lot of that was Q2 was the first full quarter. And, and we look at this, you know, I look at this information on a monthly basis as well as a quarterly. We tend to only publish the quarterly reports um, but Q2 was the first where we had that full impact of COVID. It also, again, was a very heavy incentive time period. And with those incentives, you pull over those prime consumers who used to buy used, they take advantage of new, they have higher credit scores, and the, that share goes to the captive. And the captive really gained market share considerably in the second quarter. We also saw a little bit of an uptick in finance company share, uh, and mostly because when you look at the finance companies, they're mostly 
um, doing loans for more subprime consumers. Mm-hmm. So at the same time, you might have had some banks that might have pulled back a little bit from subprime, but the finance companies were still there and, and they were able to pick up some of that share. But yeah, the captives really did gain quite a bit of market share in the second quarter. But we did start seeing it again as the second quarter went over and we started rolling into early Q3 and we started to see those incentives drop back down again. The banks started picking up share. But from Q2, captives really did dominate. Mm. Let's talk a little bit about some of the customer affordability. You know, we've we've seen this being playing out for 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 a long time, and you're you're in a great position to kind of inform us as to what you've been seeing with the extended loan terms. You saw the loan terms extending, but the coupons dropped as well. This focus on affordability, I, I view it as a positive. You know, how how do you, how are you kind of viewing this? Well, it, definitely a positive from the standpoint of we did see rates came down in the second quarter. Uh, terms went up. And I think the biggest reason terms went up, and especially on the new vehicle side, new vehicle loans saw terms go up, again, from a year-over-year standpoint at higher rates than we had seen in the past. You know, we went into, uh, you know, we wrapped up Q1, for example, with an average new loan term of 69 months. Q2, average new loan term, almost 72 months. So it did go up quite a bit. Uh, At the same time, the rates came down. And it did help balance out and ended up with a result of monthly payment for new vehicle loans didn't change that much. It was up year over year, but it didn't change that much from Q1 to Q2. And and the loan amount, though, did jump because, again, you had consumers buying more pickup trucks. What was interesting is I was looking just comparing two single months. So comparing March to May, for example. You know, beginning of of Q2 was part of the end of, of, you know, Q1. You had a loan amount in in March, for example, of thirty three thousand. In May, you had an average new loan amount of thirty six thousand. So big difference, but the payment stayed the same at five sixty five. Reason why? Well, the term went up a couple months, and the rate came down. I think almost yeah, I think it was like fifty basis points. The rate came down. So essentially, those consumers in May had the same monthly payment, but actually got a little bit more bang for their buck during that month compared to those same consumers in March. So it was just that affordability aspect because without extending the loan term, that monthly payment ends up, you know, looking like a mortgage. Yeah. It's fascinating to me. And this is not, to me, it's hard for me to think about the competitive pressures that would force some of the lenders to behave this way. It seems to me to be, we are in a situation where there was a lot of forbearance. There was a lot of other things going on. It's almost like this sanity kind of kicked in and it was, hey, they're, they're buying these cars based on the incentives that we're giving, but let's make sure that we do our part to make sure we're, we're putting a structure that has some better staying power into it. That's, that's kind of how I, how I was interpreting it, but I, I just, I don't know. I like to see the structure. The structure itself, I think, has a lot to do. It is just my personal point of view. I think the structure has a lot to do, especially in the non-prime credits with, you know, putting the person in a winning position, or maybe they might come back in a couple of months and say, shoot, you know what? I kind of signed a bad deal and I'm not really as interested as staying on top of this as I was before. There, again, yeah, there's so much structure involved. It's one thing to just look at a single attribute and say, oh, loan terms were up, but you know, you got to put all the pieces together. You know, you had also lenders being more, uh, more prudent with, you know, ensuring income. Um, we didn't see that much change when it comes to loan to value. And actually, we did see 
the LTV go down for the higher risk loan segment. So subprime, deep subprime, the LTVs actually went down. And I'm hearing anecdotally, you know, dealers are, are seeing or having more of a need for, uh, for deep subprime, for subprime consumers to put more money down to get into that, into that deal. Uh, meanwhile, you've got the reverse happening. Those more prime consumers, you actually saw LTVs go up a little bit because with such low rates and the longer term, wasn't necessarily the need to put more money down and mm. they could just, you know, catch up and save, you know, save a little bit of money in their pocket, especially with the incentives, you know, kind of made sense. But we did start seeing, you know, the, the structures change a bit, especially the, the subprime you had, again, volumes were down for everybody. They were impacted more for subprime, but you did see those subprime consumers, even though, you know, loan amounts grew for the entire, you know, the entire population. When you look at subprime, you actually saw a reduction in loan amount. Uh, there was a reduction in loan amount. There was actually, for some of those, those higher risk segments, there was an increased rate and you didn't necessarily see term go up. So you did see a bit more strident loan structure around those higher risk segments. You guys also, you do a fantastic job. I see you guys, it was probably all you. Uh, of breaking down also <laughs> let's drill down you know one level down into the new and used segments so in the new space um you called out a couple of things that i thought were interesting you have leases down coupons down and loan terms up whereas on the used side i saw loan amounts up higher tiers feeling comfortable to move back to maybe some of the new 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 uh, collateral that may be settling in now terms still going up and rates down i i thought that was you know, fantastic information to put in front. I mean, is there anything else that you would throw in to kind of dictate like how the new and used markets are kind of moving? Well, in the second quarter, what was interesting was, again, I think a lot of the incentives and the the, the programs that are running on the new car market, they, they changed some of the historical patterns that we had been seeing. We had been seeing more prime consumers purchase used vehicles, Q2, they shifted back into new that led to a much greater year-over-year increase in score. Again, because they purchased new and they purchased bigger vehicles, that also led to, you know, those loan amounts going up because more prime consumers are going to qualify for more of the incentive rates. Overall, that did drop that average rate down. The used vehicle side wasn't impacted as dramatically. We still had loan amounts go up, which has been a trend that has just been ongoing. I, I don't expect that trend to really go away anytime soon. Um, and we did see terms go up too, but the, the actual just year-over-year changes for used vehicles weren't as dramatic. The credit scores were a little more stable. Um, we did see subprime though reach for both new and used, just some record lows, but that also had been a trend we had been seeing, but definitely the impact on Q2 and in the more recent months has been a little bit more severe for volumes in those, those lower credit scoring segments. Mm. You know, the other slice you guys did, and this is toward the end of your report, was about you, you guys, you guys direct just directly touched on on COVID. And I think that was fantastic as well. Um, you know, many of the so I, I interviewed as many uh, leaders of auto finance businesses through the duration of COVID. Anybody I could get on the phone, I was just thirsty for any kind of anecdotal evidence. Um, a lot of them said they saw a big spike in April. Uh, in their volume. For many of them, it was a record month in terms of new loan originations. Um, and we saw this in your data as well, didn't we? There, there were some big volume hits and you did see some resolution of, of very likely, you know, pent up demand. Mm -hmm. um, 
so yeah, there was there were there were a lot of changes, and depending on the month, um, you know, there were shifts in you know which which months were impacted more severely. You know, volume definitely down, and and you saw, you know, as as May rolled around, you know, you started to see a little bit more recovery. And I think universally, when you're looking at you know the volume impacts of COVID, you know, auto seems to be one of the industries that recovered a little faster. So, you know, if you were to try to draw some sort of correlation to, you know, the Great Recession, auto rebounded pretty quickly from that. You know, we were severely impacted for about a year, year and a half, but we rebounded, we rebounded pretty fast. And I think the same can be said here where, you know, auto and mortgage kind of were leading the recovery. Volumes, you know, still impacted in the more recent months, you know, we're starting to see the volumes um, get closer to where they were last year, but definitely still soft. I mean, definitely for new and used. Um, used right now, I think in the most recent time period I have used is still monthly down about, you know, five, eight percent from a volume standpoint. And new, obviously, still down quite a bit. And there's a change in composition of like the cash that people are bringing to the table, right? So in Q1, you called out that there were a lot more cash deals. Q2, you're flipping over to more finance deals. And then we saw a bit of a hit in leasing as well. Yeah, the leasing hit really was more of an impact of, of store closures. You know, we, we certainly had some states where dealers just couldn't operate at all. Others where dealers could only operate service centers and other states, which, of course, were just wide. you know, dealers could operate uh, regardless of, of what they were doing. Um, so the leasing impact there was more of a result of consumers not necessarily being able to get back to a dealership when their current lease was coming due because the loyalty of lease to lease is so high. Yeah. You, know, you, you have so many consumers that just roll straight into their next lease and they couldn't do that because they just couldn't get to a store. Uh, we did start seeing in the more recent months of you know, July and August, leasing is back up to around you know, around 30% of what is financed. Now, volumes, though, are still down, mm. but we're starting to see as a percentage leasing coming back around. Okay. Yeah. Cause that's, and that leads us into, uh, you know, one of the uh, closing questions, which is really for us to understand, you know, obviously I have two big questions for you and I'll, I'll ask, I'll, I'll ask them sequentially. The first one is, of all these changes that you've seen in this report, because you've been doing this for a while. You have these these very clear COVID impacts, right? That leasing is a perfect example. People just couldn't get to the store to renew the lease, so it's going to cause a little drop. Now that people can get back in, we're seeing it level back up, right? So that that makes sense. Do you have any point of view as to what changes we're going to expect to see as we move forward that are more structural versus just these temporary shocks because of COVID? Do you think like are there any things where you're like, yeah? Online buying of vehicles, omni-channel, all that stuff is just here to stay. We're not going to walk back from that. You know, touchless delivery is probably going to continue. Like, what do you think is going to happen? Whether it's in the data or it's just your gut, I'm really interested to hear what you think. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of those trends will con will continue, especially the way that consumers are making their purchases. You know, the, the online shopping, the online purchases. You know, we were monitoring not only dealer sales activity itself, but also dealer online activity. And you might have had dealer sales down, but the actual internet purchases and the online traffic within the stores was up considerably. And not only up, you know, week over week as people were starting to then transact online more and more, but from a year over year standpoint, and I don't expect those trends to go away anytime soon. Um, if anything, I think consumers have really embraced the shift to more online technology and become much more comfortable 
with doing things online, whether it's, you know, online virtual showroom visits, being able to then transact actual in-person activities at the dealership, I think are going to start taking more of a, of a back seat. And then, of course, you've got some of the, the online retailers with the, the car delivery, you know, entities like Carvana just blowing it out of the water as far as, as um, you know, just, just revenue reports and, and, uh, and, and just reports from that standpoint. And so I, I think we'll continue to see those types of activities. I, like I said, I don't expect the online, online activity to go away anytime soon. Yeah, I get, for me, you know, for me, how I interpreted, this is fantastic. For me, how I interpreted your report is, this is a market that has a substantial amount of resiliency. Um, they've kind of hung in there. Some things have blipped. They're kind of working their way back to the norm of what they were before. But in at least what I've heard and what I've learned is the folks that already had those digital engagement and omni-channel setups in place, whether it's dealing with you know, dealers helping to get customers into new vehicles or, you know, having customers be able to deal with their servicer in the fashion that that is most effective and, you know, for them to kind of keep on, keep the communication open. To me, it's just something where it's like, hey, we were already going in that direction. This is something that might have pushed a couple of the little chickies out of the nest at the end of the day there to, to really engage in that type of commerce. Yeah, I definitely agree. You, you, definitely seen or we've definitely seen more dealers coming online taking advantage of various online tools and and really doing more analysis and more analytical well using more analytical tools to reach the customers and the prospects within their market things that consumer or the dealers might not necessarily have been doing in the past and also to your point doing more analytics and reaching out to the consumer in the way that they want to be communicated to you know, some consumers will still be those that want to come on the site and, you know, kick the tires. And then there's increasingly the upswell of consumers that just want to transact online, send them the text, pick up their car and, and just move on to the next thing in their lives. Yeah. I think that's, that's definitely the direction we're going. And the, you know, if you look at the silver lining, I think that this whole event has kind of forced us to, to make some moves we're planning to make, but maybe we were a little lazy and complacent or, or whatever, you know, and now we're, now we're doing it. Yeah. Well, the industry changes every, you know, every, every year it just seems to change so dramatically. And, you know, this year has, I think, really forced the industry to take on challenges that we've just not faced before. I mean, I, I, I can't think of any other time that dealers were forced to close. You know, it, it's, it's unprecedented. We keep on looking back at trying to correlate, well, can, can we, can we correlate the COVID activity to the industry to what happened in the great recession in, you know, 2008, 2009? Well, you right. really can't, you know, you, in those time periods, you had lenders who didn't have funds to, to make loans, but the stores were open and this was the exact opposite. You had lenders with, fun, with funds, but consumers couldn't go transact. Um, so very different scenarios. And it, it's really, I think, caused so many changes to the industry. Fantastic. Well, Melinda, thank you so much for spending time with us today. You do fantastic work. You are a mainstay of the industry. I can't wait to get back out and, and see you and all of my other colleagues and folks at the conferences. I know we're going to be getting back out there again soon. Once again, thanks, Melinda Zabritsky. She's the Senior Director of Automotive Financial Solutions with Experian. Melinda, thank you so much. Thank you, Joel. Pleasure to be here. The Consumer Five Podcast has been brought to you by Nortridge, loan software that accelerates change. 
We'd also like to thank the National Automotive Finance Association, the only trade association exclusively serving the non-prime auto financing industry.